Hey guys, Bill here. We're going to get to the Bill Barnwell Show in a second. We're going to be talking with Jeremy Fowler about the NFL players and coaches with the most to gain or lose in the 2020 season. First, just want to remind you about our friend Mina Kimes and ESPN Daily. Check out the Daily every day, talking about the biggest news in sports with the best guests and then also occasionally uh, a not best guest, me. I- I'm on as well occasionally, but Mina's always on and... We're all big fans of Mina, so make sure you check out The Daily, subscribe to it where you listen to podcasts, and of course, subscribe to The Bill Barnwell Show, which is on the way right now. All right, joining me now here on The Bill Barnwell Show, as promised, is frequent contributor to the show, Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. Jeremy, how are you? I'm doing great, man. I'm a card-carrying member of this podcast. I feel good about <laughs> it. This is my second appearance, I believe, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a gold star member. Is it really only two? I feel like it's been more. Oh, probably, you know, probably has. I, just, I know we did one a free agency. Yes. So uh, to jump one, back on, sure. it's great. For sure. Yeah. Obviously, happy to have you back on. I think we have some interesting stuff to talk about today. Um, obviously, the season up in the air in so many ways, but in terms of our expectations for the year, I think there are always going to be guys in every single season who have a significant amount writing on that year. Um, that could yep. mean their money. It could mean the difference between – uh, you know, a guy signing a enormous contract or a guy signing backup money. Look at Ryan Tannehill as a perfect example of that where, you know, a great year went from a guy who was making, uh, I believe, $7 million on a one-year deal to now three years of guaranteed money, I believe over $90 million, uh, basically guaranteed for Ryan Tannehill. So an enormous year yeah. for him. Um, could mean something in terms of uh, employment, just a guy having a job or not, or a guy, how we think about his legacy, how we think about his past and his future. So many guys have come to mind who have an enormous amount writing on what happens in 2020. So today, Jeremy and I, we're going to talk about uh, some of those guys that come to mind for us, guys who do have a significant amount writing, what might happen, what's important to them, and, and what the upside and downside might be. So, um, Jeremy, you're the guest. I feel like I should let you go first. So please, let's pick a candidate for someone who has the most to gain or lose uh, in the upcoming 2020 campaign. Well, let's do it. So, I mean, I know we, you and I were emailed about this too. I mean, there's so many. Um, I would probably start with, you know, I'm going to start with kind of a, a one you maybe wouldn't expect. Uh, Arson Wentz. Really? Let's go there. Okay. It, this, is, this is a guy, and, you know, there, there are a lot of names we can get to. I mean, this is a guy who really, you talk to NFL people, they think he's a top five quarterback talent-wise and should be there, but he's not because you can't rely on him. Um, there are whispers about, how he's affected his locker room, if he's really a, a well-liked guy there. Um, you know, the, the concussion, the injuries in the past, you know, can he complete um, a full season and make a playoff run? You know, he's in the show and it's full. You know, you're in a huge market. I just think all these things uh, have added up. You know, he's really there with Dak as far as uh, they're sort of, you know, they're considered very good quarterbacks, but how elite are they, right? That's that's kind of the debate that you see on our shows all the time. It's that first Wentz, you know, who's better? One guy can create his own shot better. One guy probably more reliable and, and checks more boxes, you know. Uh, I just think this is a huge year for this guy to try to put it all together at once. Um, you know, it's not really a money thing for him. He's got a contract that covers him. You know, his team's well invested in him. Uh, I'm just fascinated to see what he does more than almost any other quarterback. That's a really good point. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought of him because of the money, but I think you make yeah. some really good points there. And with Wentz, I think so much of how, what we think about him 
kind of goes back to that 2017 season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, was it his second year? Yeah, 2017, where he was awesome. I mean, he was the presumptive MVP heading into the winter before tearing his ACL, and then obviously didn't get MVP. Has come back, has been good. I mean, he's been very good since he came back, but he has not played quite at that level. And I think, you know, when I've read Dak comparisons, when I, I've had conversations with people, I think there is this perception, like you said, around the league that the real Carson Wentz is the 2017 Carson Wentz because that was the guy who was maybe the best player in football. But now we're we're two years removed from that guy or three years removed from that guy. He has not been at that level. Of course, the injuries have popped up. He's played one quarter of postseason football now. So, you know, I think as we get further away from that breakout year, I think you're going to have more questions about, hey, was that a fluke? Was that kind of the, you know, the career year just happened to be in year two as opposed to year six or seven? And and it's the yeah. guy we've seen in 2018 and 2019 who's good, certainly, you know, a valid NFL quarterback, but not the, you know, the breakout sort of superstar, uh, you know, right. best quarterback and football guy uh, that we saw in 2017. Is that a fluke? I mean, I think the, if he has another year like the 2018, 2019 years in 2020, I think we're going to see more people saying, hey, let's kind of throw 2017 by the wayside. Yeah, I, I, I do think this is the year that he puts it all together. I just, you know, he's the problem is he was, you know, he had some injury issues in college too, and then now he's had them pretty consistently. I think that's the only thing really holding him back right now because we saw what he did with, uh, you know, borderline practice squad receivers and running backs all over the field. Uh, and he was still making, you know, sometimes magical plays. I mean, he's yeah. kind of, you know, he's got a little bit of far venom. You know, he's, he's got some qualities in him that really uh, could could vault him into the, the top five this year. Um, but, I mean, man, there's there's so many guys on this list, especially quarterbacks. You know, Jared Stidham uh, comes to mind. As, you know, they, they've, they're pretty much all in on him unless they really plan to play Brian, uh, Brian Hoyer. But, uh, you know, this is a guy that um, they liked so much that they made him the primary backup last year and cut Hoyer. You know, they usually don't do that for young guys like that. Yeah. You know, but he's such a mystery to all of us right now. Uh, all you have to go by is just some college tape from Baylor and Auburn for the most part, a little bit of preseason action. But this guy is taking over uh, for the best player of all time. Let me ask you, Jeremy, if you had to guess, and obviously we can't know for sure, so much up in the air, so much unknown, but let me just ask you this. How well do you think Jared Stidham has to play this year in what is really his rookie season for the Patriots to sit here this time next year and say, hey, you know, or this time next year, but heading into next offseason, sit there and say, hey, we're not going to go after a veteran quarterback. We're not going to go after someone in the draft. We're going to stick with Jared Siddham. What is his baseline where he has to play at that level to justify getting not only this upcoming season, but also kind of, you know, have that option for the Patriots to stick with him in the years to come. Yeah. The, uh, the Mendoza line in baseball, yeah. we'll call it the Jared Goff line in, uh, <laughs> in NFL terms. He is a guy who, you know, is a good quarterback. He obviously got paid. There's a different stratosphere than what Jared Stidham's making money-wise. Um, but, uh, you know, he probably needs to be top 15 to top 16 quarterbacks maybe or at least make a push uh, to be in the top half of the league, be in the conversation, uh, I would think. But the way Bill Belichick handles money, he's got to be thinking, hey, I have a guy on the second year of a rookie contract that gives mm-hmm. me two years to build around him on the cheap. Does he want to go and throw, you know, 
$10 million a year to Cam Newton or $20, $25 million a year to another guy in free agency? Uh, probably not because of, you know, they, that's just the way they've operated. He's probably seeing this as a chance to load up at a ton of other positions and with draft picks and to see where this project goes. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Carson Wentz as someone who has so much writing on 2020 in terms of being kind of that elite quarterback. Jared Stidham seems like he's sort of at the next tier. You know, he, he obviously has to prove himself as being an adequate NFL quarterback to kind of get those opportunities heading into 2021 and beyond. Another group of quarterbacks, and I guess you can sort of talk about these guys in a bunch, are the three guys from the class of 2018 who maybe are still sort of up in the air. I mean, obviously, Lamar Jackson won league MVP. He's going to be fine. Um, Josh Rosen, uh, you know, I feel bad for Josh Rosen, but what's happened so far makes me think that he's not going to be a significant impact player in the NFL in 2020. The three other guys from that first-round draft class, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, and Josh Allen, all do have a lot writing on the 2020 season. Who do you think of those three has the most sort of uh, when it comes to how they have to play in 2020? So the most to lose, I would say, would be probably Baker Mayfield. I mean, there's a guy who has weapons everywhere, probably too many weapons in some cases. I mean, you have two really high-end running backs, two really high-end receivers, two good tight ends. That sounds like a good problem to have. But um, as we've seen in the past with Landry and Odell, you know, you almost – cancel each other out you know there's they're they're they both want the ball a lot um baker as a result probably forced some things he didn't have the best coaching with freddie kitchens but um i think they expect a lot from him i think kevin stefanski's system is going to help him make kind of more calculated you know better decisions overall because mm-hmm. they're just going to be more organized as a staff um but if they don't produce i mean the, the, the pressure is on him or at least you know josh allen doesn't have to carry that team i mean they right. can get to the playoffs um, with real, I, I think it's probably a top five non-quarterback roster in the NFL, uh, pound for pound. It just at least what they do, they're just solid everywhere. Um, so he doesn't have to do it all, and he's got digs that he can just throw it up to now. That who's a guy who's an instant playmaker downfield. They just haven't had um, Darnold. You know, like they just don't have anybody, right? Yeah. Like even a receiver after this whole off season, who did they add? I mean, uh, they got Bashard Perryman, who had a good end of the year. Uh, but you wouldn't call him a bona fide number one. Denzel Mims out of Baylor is kind of a project. They got a bunch of line or offensive linemen, some of which are just sort of piecemeal together. They got like eight new guys, and expected to be great. So I'm not so convinced a year two under uh, Adam Gase and Joe Douglas is going to be smooth for Darnold on offense. Despite his talent, he might be the most talented out of those three guys. Um, so I, I think that Baker has the most to lose. Darnold has an excuse still, and Josh Allen can still sort of uh, – you know, he might not be the perfect pocket passer, but he can get by on his traits and a good team around him. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I think about uh, Mitch Trubisky, where this time last year, if, you know, I had sat here and told a Bears fan that Mitch Trubisky was going to be, you know, competing for a starting job, probably with an organization that would rather see him lose than than win that race, you know, I think it would have seemed crazy, but a lot can change in a year. So even with Josh Allen, I feel like, you know, if the Bills do struggle, this year in 2020, obviously there are expectations yeah. on this team to, to win the division. And if the Bills do struggle and Josh Allen's the guy holding them back, who knows? This could be yeah. a team where next year we're sitting here saying, hey, you know, the Bills brought in a veteran to compete with Josh Allen for the starting job. And, um, you know, I, I think they all have a lot to gain because if one of them has a great year, if Baker has a great year or if Josh Allen has a great year, 
you know, the next offseason is the first time they're eligible for contract extensions. And one of those guys might get paid a significant amount of money, just like Jared Goff did. Yeah, see, if, if Josh Allen struggles this year, then the Bills will just trade for Nick Foles. And they'll have Nick Foles <laughs> compete with Josh Allen. Nick Foles will officially be the rotating quarterback controversy about um, <laughs> bringing the veteran who's like sort of a threat, sort of isn't a threat. Yeah, just like uh, you mentioned Jared Goff is the line for starting quarterbacks. Nick Foles is the line for uh, threatening backup quarterbacks. Just good enough <laughs> to, to, to give you a rise, but not good enough to actually make you change your mind about your starting quarterback. Um, <laughs> no yeah, doubt. Someone else that comes to mind for me, or some other another group that comes to mind for me, and I want to know what you think about them, because um, I talked about them a lot last week with Dan Graziano on the show, the running backs. Yeah who yep. are about to possibly get paid. And I mean, we can talk about a dozen guys here if we wanted to, but just just you know, a bunch off the top uh, top of my head here, we have Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, James Conner, Aaron Jones, Leonard Fournette, um, even guys like Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell, who already got contracts but either you know are on a one-year deal like Gurley or could be cut yeah. next year like Bell. I mean, are there any of those guys who stand out to you where you think, you know, if they have a big year, it's going to mean more for them than it would for the rest of this bunch? Right, and you, you might have forgotten the best player on that list, Alvin Kamara. Of course. He's a guy yeah. that was hampered a little bit last year, and he might be the best running back of that group to me. Um, you know, if you, he, he might not be as good as McCaffrey, but if you put him in the Panthers offense, you know, with all he can do um, – he put up huge numbers. So, but the, the problem is that, like, it, it's a combination of the terrible market as we know about running backs, right? Where teams say, you know, hey, we can get three to four good years out of a running back. That's a blessing. Um, don't necessarily want to pay him. Uh, and the franchise tag for Derrick Henry is ten million dollars. That doesn't help anybody. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's deal is probably an outlier, and, and, and maybe gave false expectations to all these guys because McCaffrey's sort of a different beast, getting sixteen million a year. Um, it's it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. I, I think Dalvin Cook, the, the spotlight is there because the Vikings, from what I understand, even though he's threatened to hold out, they do want to get something done and expect to get something done before camp. So you got to think the sweet spot is twelve to thirteen million a year. That's probably I'm guessing they split the difference. You know, he was insulted by an offer that was more around eight to ten. That would make fifteen go in the middle of thirteen. Uh, yeah. And that would you know that would at least get the ball rolling for everybody else a little bit. But you know, Kamara's in a tough spot because. New Orleans, I don't think, really wants to pay a running back, and they're loaded everywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Joe Mixon, Cincinnati's not the type to be a trend-setting running back payer. I mean, we know we know Cincinnati's track record, right? Um, you know, they'll pay sure. their veterans, but I just I don't expect them to open the bank for him, uh, for a guy who hasn't really done it as a pass catcher. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Derrick Henry, I mean, Tennessee, you know, they, they know that he was carrying them at times last year, and I think they do want to reward him uh, for what he's done and what he will do, but again, not a pass catcher in a pass happy league. And so, you know, that's going to, that's going to come up in negotiations. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then Aaron Jones, I mean, a guy who was great last year for the Packers, even though the Packers seemed hesitant to commit to him. And then, well, you don't uh, invest in much in the way of receivers this off season. You draft a running back, AJ Dillon in the second round, who you figure uh, given the draft capital being used there, he's going to be a prominent part of that offense. You know, I, I mean, the, the writing seems to be on the wall. The Packers are not going to pay Aaron Jones this offseason or next offseason. Right. It, I, I almost get the sense, I've thought of some coaches about this around the league that have noticed, they think the Packers are going the way of the 49ers a little bit. Kyle Shanahan, mm-hmm. Matt Floor, 
our buddies dating back to a long time ago. You load up on running backs, you load up on good blocking tight ends, and you get creative and you run the ball a lot of different ways, um, which normally you don't see that when you have a top five quarterback. I usually just rely on the quarterback instead yeah. of that. But it, it seems like I, I think they're going to get more creative with the running game and the misdirection stuff. And uh, that probably doesn't bode well for Aaron Jones as a workhorse guy, but he's really efficient. So, you know, maybe they can come to a sweet spot. It's going to depend on what Cook does and what Henry do. Yeah, that makes total sense. Uh, is there a non-quarterback who interests you, who, who feels like it might be someone who stands out as a uh, a guy with a lot to gain or lose this offseason? Well, pass rushers, I mean, because there's so much to gain money-wise. Um, yeah. You know, Miles Garrett, oh, we've been sure. talking about a contract with Cleveland. He's got two years left, so maybe it's not as pressing. But, you know, he's got the character discussion what, what happened with Mason Rudolph. For him, just to get on the field again, show he can be a reliable player and citizen, probably helps his cause a lot. He's going to have a spotlight on him at the least. As far as money, Chris Jones has got a ton to lose because the franchise tag has blown his market value. I'm not so convinced that he wouldn't hold out if they don't get a long-term deal done. Mm-hmm. by July 15th, but they have to pay Patrick Mahomes. Chris Jones is the more immediate need uh, as far as years on his contract, but I don't know. I mean, his market is clear, right? But DeForest Buckner is getting, what, $21 million a year. Frank Clark is getting that. Jones is probably better. Most people around the league agree than Frank Clark. So his market's $22 million a year, maybe more. It's it's tough. I just don't know. If the, I think the Chiefs want to swing it. I don't know if they can. Um, so there you're looking at, does he hold out? Does he play on the tag? And then, you know, depending on how he plays, could affect a potentially $100 million deal elsewhere. Uh, yeah, it's a huge year for Chris Jones. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, right or wrong, has that reputation as being a guy who, you know, for a dozen snaps a game, looks like the best player uh, on defense in the league, and then maybe for the rest the of the snaps. The best player in football, like, like at times. Yeah, yeah, right. And the rest of the snaps, not so much. And, you yeah. know, I mean, if you can – show teams or convince at least one team that you're going to be that guy for the majority of the snaps in the game, you're going to make a heck of a lot of money. And if you can't, we're going to see, you know, Jadavian Clowney style situation, maybe where it is a, you know, situation where maybe not the medical concerns, but maybe he doesn't get the, the market he's expecting or hoping for because he can't convince a team that he's worth paying like that sort of absolute top tier tippy top uh, superstar. So I think he has a ton to gain or lose and Miles Garrett as well. I mean, yeah. obviously the talent is there. I mean, I don't think anyone questions what Miles Garrett can do on a football field in terms of his ability. He was playing excellent football um, before that suspension. But, you know, I mean, for the Browns, this is an organization that uh, e- even in the course of a year, things can change dramatically from uh, who's making the decisions to who they're valuing to who they're impressed by. So, you know, I think with Miles Garrett, um, yeah, like you said, if he can get on the field and prove – you know, kind of put that behind him, put that incident behind him, I think it'll be okay. But obviously, I mean, still, uh, you know, certainly um, has to do that before he gets there. Someone like Ndamukong Sue comes to mind where he had that stomping uh, penalty early in his career. Where yeah. We don't think about that now because, of course, right. what's happened since then, he's been, you know, pretty much a model citizen. But obviously, um, yeah. you know, in that moment, uh, I think there were questions about his future and, and, and whether it made sense for the Lions to, you know, move on from him or extend him or whatnot. So uh, certainly a lot going on there. Um I mentioned the Lions, and I want to bring up the Lions again because I think we can talk about some of the coaches who have a lot to gain or lose this year. And I think one guy who comes to mind for me uh, is Matt Patricia, who was able to keep his job after a couple of frustrating years to start his head coaching career. Obviously, um, 
there's been a lot of discontent in and around that organization. And you have players who, when they leave, are basically trashing the organization and saying, you know, hey, uh, yeah. you know, we're, we're better off going somewhere else. And not everyone's saying that, to be fair, but I think some people certainly are. Um, in terms of Matt Patricia's future, um, what do you think he has to do? What do you think the Lions have to do this offseason to sort of, you know, put those questions aside and, and give Matt Patricia the opportunity to come back for a fourth season in 2021? Yeah. This is a fascinating situation, Bill. But this is like a bigger market like New York. The Lions would be the best story, right? Because it's just it, – it's it's really hard to figure out what's going on there as far as, uh, you know, as, as far as the talent level overall, the players mm-hmm. they signed. I mean, they kind of went crazy for agency on some middle, middle-tier middle guys or like Jamie Collins types. Yep. Um, you know, they, they play man coverage a lot, but they don't necessarily have a good pass rush that's so like – you know, is this the year where that all maybe finally comes together, or do they even have the pieces to do that? Um, they get rid of probably a top four to five corner in Darius Slay. Um, you know, like you mentioned the things that Matt Patricia has had trouble with uh, with players, you know, kind of bad-mouthing them on the way out. It, it's uh, – I, I don't know if that's going to come to a head or if that was just maybe disagreements with a couple guys. It's, it's hard to figure that out. When you talk to Matt Patricia, places like the Combine and stuff, very down-to-earth, very nice guy. Yeah. Um, so, it, but there seems to be some sort of discord. What helps everybody is you have a top, what I believe is a top 10 quarterback in Matt Stafford still, uh, despite the injuries, was playing at MVP type level first eight games of the year. Hasn't won anything really in Detroit, um, but he's also been in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So is this the year where he can maybe elevate things a little bit with those weapons they still have on offense? Um, and, you know, can they outscore teams? It's always been the thing where they just can't win games late, but I think they probably have to at least go eight and eight. Uh, to, to kind of keep that battery uh, in check for another year, maybe nine and seven, or at least push for the playoffs. So, you know, it, it can't be a six and ten, seven and nine type situation. I don't think. Yeah, I agree. I think it has to be a um, you know at least an eight and eight season. I mean, obviously that division is going to be tough. Packers should still be good. The Vikings, of course, still going to be good. The Bears hoping to be better on offense, and the defense is still very good. So, I mean. You know, not as if they're going to come by surprise and suddenly sweep the division and blow out everybody, but um, I think they have to hope for that second, that, that first half from Stafford for an entire season, and then a much improved defense from a guy who, you know, really was brought into Detroit because he was the Patriots' defensive coordinator, as sort of the someone who was going to fix the defense and sort of, you know, Stafford would be fine and they would fix the defense and be a playoff team. So um, they have to take a step forward on defense and, and hit that eight and eight rock this year for me. Um, any other coaches? Or, or maybe executives who come to mind for you uh, having a lot writing on this season? Well, this is a moment of truth for Bill O'Brien as a sure. personnel guy. I think we all know, you know, despite uh, him being ripped on social media and his decisions question, like, I think he's a pretty good coach. I mean, they win the sure. division most years. Um, he's gotten good things out of Deshaun Watson. They win together. They're good together. Um, but as a personnel man, where is he, right? Like, I mean, he set the internet on fire for about four months. And so if they can come out and score some points without Hopkins, who's really, I mean, this is a guy who could bail out a lot of good quarterbacks by the way he plays with him gone. Is that going to expose some things with both Watson and the Texans, or are they going to be able to bridge that gap with the pieces O'Brien put in place? And maybe this will be sort of a vindication for him in a, you know, in a division that he can usually win um, that isn't pressuring him all that much. I mean, I do expect the Colts and some other teams to be better, but um you know, this is, it's got to come to a head with a coach who's been good, not great, but the decisions have been curious for a while. Um, 
And so, yeah, I, I don't know what an offensive uh, Brandon Cooks and David Johnson, all these new parts, it's, it's hard to imagine what they're going to do right now. I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not as if they don't have talent. You know, I think you can say whatever you want about Bill O'Brien, and I've certainly been critical of some of his moves, but, you know, there's a lot of talented players here. I mean, this is a very talented yeah. offense. The offensive line is much improved. A defense, obviously, yeah. you know, some question marks here or there, but can't can't really argue with J.J. Watt and um, yeah. I mean, Merciless played well. So, I mean, you know, if everyone stays healthy and, and Bill O'Brien is able to get the most out of the guys he has, wouldn't be shocking if this were a 12-win football team. I mean, there's the talent there yeah. to pull that off for sure. But, you know, uh, um, obviously major question marks about the health of some of these guys. You know, guys like Cooks and Watt haven't been healthy. I don't think Bill O'Brien's going to have much control over that. And for a team that has been aggressive in free agency, for a team that has traded away a lot of draft picks, you wonder, hey, if they do struggle with injuries, you know, is Bill O'Brien going to be able to coach up the back end of that roster you know, when it might be street free agents or undrafted free agents or late round picks or guys who, you know, you wouldn't want to put in a meaningful role typically in meaningful roles in the second half of the season, that could be really tough. So, um, you know, I, I think, again, you can argue with his decisions, and I think there's there's plenty of things to argue with, but crazier things have happened. We were, we were sitting here last year saying what a genius the Raiders were for trading for Antonio Brown, and look right. how that turned out. You know, I mean, right. you know, uh, even <laughs> if it seems stupid at the time, it might look at the genius you know, as recently as training camp. So we'll see for sure. Um, one other group that comes to mind for me, yeah. uh, coach and GM in Chicago, going back to the NFC North, I mean, with Brian yeah. Pace and Matt Nagy, you know, these guys were, again, uh, in the opposite way. They were the uh, – they were being celebrated this time last year. Pace was executive yeah. of the year or, or close to executive of the year in a lot of places. Right. Matt Nagy looked like one of the up-and-coming up young offensive coaches. And then, well, we saw what happened in 2019. It was a mess. Everyone looked bad, right. fired a bunch of their coaches, um, and didn't have a first-round pick in this year's draft. So, you know, w- with Pace and Nagy, I mean, Pace is now on his second head coach. Um, yeah, I believe his second head coach, yeah, because they fired Trent yeah. and then, um, yeah, so he, he, you know, most co- most gyms with his record typically don't get a second head coach, and obviously, right. you know, the trade for um, Khalil Mack kind of, you know, it put them in the right position. They won a the division, kind of by, you know, bought him some time, but... I think if they struggle this year, you have to wonder if the Bears are going to be sitting here saying, hey, you know, we, we traded for Club Mack. We had that one good year, but everyone knows about the Mitchell Trubisky decision. You know, the Nick Foles trade, obviously, yeah. uh, raises some questions. If this doesn't work out, you know, the Bears could be sitting here saying, hey, we need to rebuild, even though we were 12-14 yeah. and 14 two years ago. Right. That, they're close to rebuilding. Um, and there's a team with, with bad offensive line play. Then how much have they really – upgraded there and that's been an issue i mean the fact that you had quarterback is really not the type to throw in anticipation and accuracy you don't have good tight ends in place for that guy is just is dumbfounding to me but uh, gms get more leashed than head coaches typically you know maggie could be the one to fall i wouldn't be surprised if pace hung on another year even if they struggle it's just sort of the way it goes there are a lot of gms around the league that have been able to keep their job um it's going to be fascinating because year two with trubisky you know, they kind of realized what he was, and they, they worked around his skill set, right? They utilized his athleticism, a lot of misdirection, you know, get the ball out of his hands pretty quickly. And then in year three, they asked him to be this pocket passer, right? It's almost like they wanted him to take the next step, but that wasn't him, and so you forced it, and then, you, you know, he struggled as a result. So do you go back to what you were doing in 2018, or do you just try to make him the pocket passer competing with Nick Foles, which is probably – in advantage of Foles in that quarterback matchup. 
uh, because of the experience there and they know what they get with him. So I don't know. It's, it's, uh, cause you don't know what you're getting out of Nick Foles either coming off that injury and the confidence level. Um, can he regain what he had from that Super Bowl year? It, it's, I mean, a lot of questions surrounding that team. You know, I, I do expect the defense to be fine. You get a guy like Akeem Nix back. Uh, you know, they, they have enough disruptors up there where they should be able to squeeze out some games as a result. You know, low scoring 17 to 10 types, perhaps. Yeah, but I mean, hey, you know, if Trubisky does get back to his old self or Foles gets hot, you think, hey, offensive weapons are there, defense should be really good, that could be a 12-win team again. That wouldn't be, you know, I'd, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be absolutely shocked if they were, you know, one of the better teams in football, if they can get their quarterback right. situation right. So, I mean, so much up in the air. You know, if they went 6-10, and 10, it wouldn't be shocking. If they went 12-4, and 4, it would not be totally shocking to me. So, such a right. There's you know, so many teams out there like that. I feel mm-hmm. this year. You know, there are teams that there's like a six game swing on about twelve teams at least. Yeah, which you know is fun. And I think when you combine with the, you know, with the uh, shortened or perhaps non-existent camps setting into the season, you know, who knows? I mean, this could be sloppy football. It could be exciting football. It could be a very strange football season. Um, Jeremy, let's go with one no more question. Um, can yeah. you throw out one more person who you think has a lot writing on the 2020 season? Let's see. Oh, there's so many. Um, I would go with. Let's go with uh, Sean McVay. Oh, okay. Trying to mix it up a little bit more. Maybe he's not an obvious one, but he's the brainchild. Mm-hmm. And last year they looked exposed at times, especially on defense. I think that's you know you look at that Ravens game, getting embarrassed on Monday oh, Night yeah. Football. Um, that's still the end for Wade, and so you're you're rebuilding that side of the ball with a couple elite players. Um, but you've got to piece the rest together. You know, Jared Goff didn't make the step again, you know, at, at the good year before. But, um, you know, what what are you getting out of him? Or is he what he is at this point? Um, a good one-read quarterback who throws a pretty ball, but then the pressure gets to him. How do you adjust, you know? So, I don't know. It, it's, it's an interesting rebuild there with – not really a rebuild, but, like, they, they've clearly decided, okay, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Tyler Higby, Gerald Everett, those will be our guys. We can win with those guys. And so – I'm just I'm curious to see what Sean McVay's counterpunch is this year after maybe the sheen wore off a little bit in 2019. Yeah, that's the really interesting thing, you know, because obviously, you know, we did see the Patriots slow them down in 2018 in the Super Bowl. You saw, you know, them kind of copy the Lions, who copied the Bear, who uh, sorry, the Bears, who copied the Lions, who right. you know implemented some stuff, and then we saw teams copy that in 2019. And I was kind of always waiting for that Plan B. It was, you know, sort of what's Sean McVay going to do? Because he has to right. have a counterpunch, right? And then it right. never really came. I mean, they, you know, they debated whether to go with Todd Gurley more, whether to use 12 personnel more. Never really right. had that solution. So with a full off season, obviously they were tooling. They now they they've swapped out all three coordinators. I mean, swapped out some players on the defensive side of the ball. Um, traded Brandon Cooks, got rid of Todd Gurley. I mean, it's a yeah. really fascinating team, and, and I think a team that could come back and say, "Hey, that was a fluke," and we with better offensive line play with a healthier defense with, with, you know, kind of a year to reflect we, we can run it back and kind of do what we used to do and be just as good. Or a team that could say, Hey, we have to change what we do. Let's, let's copy some stuff from Kyle Shanahan. Let's copy some stuff from the chiefs. Let's, you know, kind of reinvent what we did because there's talent here, but we can't be the same team we were in 2017 and 2018. So I'm really fascinated to see what Sean McVay does and what path he takes because, you know, given, his reputation, given how we thought of him before this season, he was a genius. And they were right. the first sort of, you know, uh, step 
our, our first sort of arguments against that in 2019. And, you know, we're going to see what his counterpunch is here in 2020. Yeah, no doubt. The thing that worked for McVeigh early is that, or at least talking to some other coaches, it's not like they did, uh, it's not like they were that exotic. They just, they had a bunch of different options off of different formations. And then so um, you take something simple and you expand it. And so, yeah, like now do they go to a little more sophistication and mix it up a little bit? Because, you know, they have three running backs they feel pretty good about. Van Jefferson, I think, is going to be an impact guy year one. Um, just talking to a lot of scouts about his route running and just like his sophistication. I think he's going to be a guy that will help early. So if he steps in for Brandon Cooks, he's been hurt a lot. and He's maybe not the same deep threat, but he's a really good uh, precision route runner. Those Woods and Cup already are. I mean, that, you know, it could get really interesting. I mean, I... I I don't see why they can't win at least nine games, but uh, you know it's 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 going to be fascinating because I, I I don't know that they have the sheer talent to overpower people with that offensive line anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, last year was a disaster, right? I mean, we all thought major step backwards. They got embarrassed Monday Night Football. They still went nine and seven. You know, it wasn't right, like right. they were a four and twelve football team. So um, right. obviously, still a, a lot to say for the Rams. A lot to say for the NFC West. And I mean, Jeremy, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Um, where can people hear you talk more about the NFL and more about the stuff you cover? Yeah, so no, I appreciate it, Bill. Always fun, man. Uh, just my you know social media, Jay Fowler, ESPN. Uh, you know, sports center on the weekends, we break down, uh, just kind of news notes around the league. So that's where you can catch me. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks so much as always to my guest, Jeremy Fowler. Always happy to have Jeremy on the show. We'll be back next week. More NFL talk on the way. Are we in the off season? Are we previewing the season? I don't know. We're just in the middle of, uh, in between when it comes to football. So hope you guys are healthy. Hope you guys are hanging in there. Thanks so much for listening. Hope we can distract you from uh, obviously stressful times. And we'll be back with more next week.